Galatians chapter number 5. Let's stand together as you find that and we'll dismiss our children to our children's ministry. Galatians chapter 5 and, and for the choir. Uh, we're going to meet at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Choir practice at 4 o'clock. And so you may want to put some hush puppies in your pocket um, from lunch and bring them with you to get here a few minutes earlier. And uh, if you haven't listened to your recordings, choir, let me encourage you to do that. Be ready for choir practice. And um, Galatians 5 and the children being dismissed. Galatians 5, we'll look at verse 16 and we'll read to the end of the chapter. And we looked at this portion previously. And we talked about the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's trying to communicate but there's a counterpart to that, and I want us to spend some time on that as we look again at these verses. Verse number 16. This I say then. What Paul's doing is he's introducing this new section in light of what he has just spoken about. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. And such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Thank you. Please be seated. On September 11, 2001, four jetliners left the east coast of the United States. Unknown to the passengers and pilots aboard was an enemy who eventually revealed itself by hijacking the planes and guiding them as human missiles into the financial and military centers of the world's most powerful nation. The deaths of several thousand people from 80 different nations shocked the entire world. The aftermath of 9-11 caused stock markets to plunge economies to slow, and in unemployment lines to grow. The events of September 11th wakened the world to a new and ruthless enemy, an enemy that could strike anyone, anywhere, and at any time. That enemy is called terrorism. However, there is another enemy, not as new, but even more ruthless, than terrorism. It is the enemy that moved and motivated the vile act of terrorism. It's the enemy that fuels hatred and revenge 
that results in criminal activity. It is the enemy that hinders us, the people of God, from being what we ought to be and from doing what we ought to do. This old and vile enemy is part of a network that has been terrorizing civilization in this world for thousands of years. The leader of this network is Satan. And his primary agent is the flesh. Now the flesh is the terrorist of the soul. And what makes the flesh so effective is that it lives inside each and every one of us. Even as a child of God, there is the flesh. Every believer has dwelling within them the flesh and the spirit. That is the flesh and the Holy Spirit. The flesh we receive at our natural birth. When we were born, you have a birth date, you received from Adam from fallen Adam, our flesh. At our new birth, if you're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. Both the flesh and the Holy Spirit have desires. The flesh only desires evil. And the Holy Spirit only desires holiness. And as a result, these two are in conflict one with the other. They are literally at war. Paul said it this way in verse 17 of our text, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. See, if, ye yield, if we yield ourselves to the rule and to the reign of the terrorism of the flesh, then we will reap its evil desires and will manifest its works in our life. But if we yield to the Holy Spirit, we will reap His holy desires and manifest His fruit in our lives. It's for this reason that we must deny the flesh and depend upon the Spirit. We must deny the flesh and depend upon the Spirit. This morning I want to preach on this thought, the futility of the flesh. The futility of the flesh. See some things that Paul tells us here concerning the flesh. Number one, I want you to note with me the character of the flesh. Notice in verse 18, the character of the flesh. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. The word flesh is used in several different ways in the New Testament. Often it refers to the outer wrapper that keeps our bones together. This, this body of flesh that you and I see. Paul refers to it, uh, to the flesh that way in Galatians 2.20 when he says, The life which I now live in the flesh. He's talking about in this body. At other times the word flesh refers to the state of an unsaved man. Romans chapter 7 and verse 5 refers to that man uh, before he's regenerated, he's in his flesh. In our passage, the word flesh refers not to our physical body. It's not referring to our personality or our spiritual state before God. But rather in this Galatians 5 passage, the flesh is referring to our sinful patterns of living. The flesh refers to the old habits of life, the old ways of thinking and acting. 
The flesh is referring to our sinful patterns of living, the old habits of life, the old ways of thinking and acting. So the flesh is an entrenching evil principle of life. It's an established pattern of living that works in our members and it wages a war against the mind. That's why Paul said in Romans 7, verse 22 and verse 23, I don't often do the things that I would like to do being in the flesh. I I, I, want to do certain things for God and I don't. I don't want to do certain things for the devil and I do because that's what the flesh does. The flesh is the vehicle through which sin operates. In the Bible, it's called the body of sin in Romans 8 and verse, or excuse me, Romans 6 and verse 6. It's also referred to as the carnal mind in Romans 8 and verse 7. The flesh is also referred to as the law of sin in Romans 7 verse 23, Romans 8 and verse number 2. And it's referred to as an evil principle, Romans 7 and verse 19. So the flesh then is part of man that wants to please himself rather than please God. That's why you can be in a service and be stirred by the thought that God loves you and God wants to bless you and use you and you want to serve God. Well, that's what God in a child of God produces. But when you get away from here and you sit down in front of a computer screen or you sit down with a friend in front of the television, you start having thoughts to do something that is contrary to God. That's because you are in your flesh at that point in time. The flesh is the part that wants to please self rather than God. The flesh is the part of you that rationalizes and even justifies sin. Some say, well, it's just a little white lie. It wasn't a big lie. I've had people sit on my couch and say, pastor, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the right thing and walk out of my office and never do the right thing. It's called a lie. Why? Because they're in the flesh. They're living in the flesh. And there is no good flesh or bad flesh. It's flesh. All flesh is evil and wicked and is anti-God. And so when you're yielding to the flesh, you're going to get what the flesh does. When you yield to the Spirit, you're going to get what the Spirit does. It's not a black lie or big lie or or little lie. It's sin is what it is. And flesh, it will have a way of rationalizing. It justifies, well, here's why I can't be faithful to God. Because, you know, God's let me down. Oh, really? Well, here's why I'm having a hard time. Because, you know, I've just lost the, 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 the person I loved more than anything. That's what caused you to stop serving God? Uh, See, you're in the flesh. Your flesh is what justifies when you tell somebody off. You're in the flesh. The flesh rationalizes and justifies what Jesus Christ died for. The flesh says, well, I just can't tithe. Somebody told me recently that they got an increase in pay, which means you give a 10%, and therefore you're to give 10% of whatever you make, whether you get less or make more. And they got paid more, and therefore uh, they were having a hard time tithing more. And so this was just this past week, rather. And so I said, well, let me pray with you. Would you mind? And he said, no, I don't mind. I said, God, would you take away their increase in pay? (laughs) You idiot. I'm not real comfortable with someone who will lie and cheat and steal against God. 
And so I prayed for them with my hands over my wallet. And, um, but what it is, they're in the flesh. They're in the stinking, filthy, wicked flesh is what they are. The flesh is the part that rationalizes and justifies sin, and that's flesh. It's the part of you that wants its own way. It's the part of you that wants you to live apart from God in this part of my life. It's the part of you that moves you to do what you do not want to do when you are drawing close to God. It's the part of you that leads you to argue, to bicker, to fight, to complain, to hide, to be able to justify. It's the part of you that leads you into sin. It's called flesh. A little boy once asked his father, Daddy, how do wars begin? Well, said the father, the First World War started when Germany invaded Belgium. Immediately, the boy's mother, the man's wife, interrupted and said, tell the boy the truth. It began because somebody was murdered. The husband drew himself up in his chair with an air of superiority and he snapped back. Are you answering the boy's question or am I? When she turned her back on her husband in a huff, the wife walked out of the room and slammed the door about as hard as she possibly could. When the dishes stopped rattling in the cupboard and an uneasy silence followed, broken at length by the son when he said, Daddy, you don't have to explain to me anymore. Now I know. What is it? It's the flesh. The flesh. It's the part of you that drives you to sin. Some things about the character of the flesh. First of all, the flesh desires evil. The flesh desires evil. Romans 7, 21, I find then a law, Paul says, and the law refers to a principle of life. And what is that law, Paul? Paul says that law in Romans 7, 21 is that when I would do good, evil, referring to the flesh, is present with me. In other words, when we desire to do good, this evil law, this evil principle of life, it's right there ready to oppose. Just like at a wedding ceremony, you ever heard anyone say, well, sure you have. Does uh, anyone object? And anytime you're trying to wed yourself to God and draw yourself to God, the flesh is ready to oppose every time. Whether you ask if there's anything in me that objects, the flesh objects. It desires only evil. The desire of the flesh is purely evil. Its desire is to cause us to live independently of God. That's why we're preaching so much dependence upon God. Why? Because anything that's not dependent upon God is flesh. That's why some of you still are not spending time with God. You've been saved forever, but you still are not spending time with God. Why? Because you live in the flesh. The flesh lives independent of God. The flesh is so vile and it's incurably evil that it cannot be educated. Did you know that? You cannot educate your flesh. You cannot train your flesh, nor can you discipline your flesh to ever change its character. The flesh is flesh. It's never going to get better. You're never going to feed it enough and pet it enough and take care of it enough to where it becomes your friend. Think about the flesh. The flesh is like a cat. It never gets any better. It's always evil. <laughs> well, glory. The next thing here is keep going. The flesh does not respond to God. Nor is it subject to God's laws, Romans 8 and verse 7. 
The flesh is unable to do any spiritual good. There is no spiritual value in the flesh. And Paul tells us that in Romans 7 and verse 18. No spiritual value in the flesh. It cannot please God. Romans 8 and verse number 8. It cannot be trusted. Philippians 3 and verse 3. Paul says, I put no confidence, none in the flesh. It is a vile law that only desires evil. So the flesh in this character of the flesh desires evil. The other thing about the flesh is that it defies God. Romans 8 and verse 7, the carnal mind is enmity, that is hostile against God. See, the immediate response of the flesh to God is hostility. The natural response of the flesh to the word of God is, no, I'm not going to do it. Not me. <laughs> no way. Whenever we hear the word of God and say, no, never, not me. I will never respond to that truth. Or no, never, not me. I will never live like that. Or no, never, not me. I will never change or make that change in my life. That's because you're in the flesh. The flesh is always hostile against God and His Word. The flesh raises its ugly head against God and it defies God. It's that evil, vile part of you that is hostile toward God. A third thing about the character of the flesh is that it defiles man. It defiles man. See, the flesh, it pollutes everything about us. It leads man to do the evil things that a child of God really doesn't want to do. And it keeps us from doing the good things that we desire. Again, Romans 7, <clears throat> verse 15 and verse 24. And that's what Paul's talking about. The flesh pulls us into sin. See, the devil takes the world's attractions the world's pursuits and pleasures, and he appeals it not to the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's not interested, but he appeals it to your flesh. And your flesh tells you that the things of the world, that's good. When pushed into a corner, the flesh says, fight, lie, cheat, cheat steal, covet, save face, whatever you need to do. Do what's best for you. Whenever the spirit says, yes, the flesh says, no. When the spirit says, run, flee, get out of there, the flesh says, stay, enjoy, indulge. See, the flesh is to the devil what the Holy Spirit is to Christ. The Holy Spirit is in us to exalt Christ and to advance His kingdom. The flesh in us is to exalt Satan and to advance His kingdom. The Spirit corrects our character while the flesh is all about corrupting our character. The Spirit illumines, it turns the light on regarding truth while the flesh ignores truth. 
And see, that's what happens when people become self-deceived. You've heard Bible preaching, you've heard Bible preaching, you've heard Bible preaching, and you will turn around and you'll talk to somebody else about truth, and you'll get in their face and say, how dare you, how dare you think it's okay to take the life of an unborn child, that was, life was given by God. How could you think that way? And yet you hear message after message after message about walking in the light, not in darkness, about getting honest, about unloading the truck, about tithing, about being faithful, for whatever it might be, and you'll justify those because you're in the flesh. The flesh is corrupt. The Spirit empowers us. The flesh will empty us. The Spirit counteracts sin while the flesh cheers us on in sin. The flesh is Satan's agent. The flesh is the Christian's adversary. And it's an all-consuming desire the flesh has to destroy you. Don't you see a, another thing about the flesh and the character of the flesh is that the flesh destroys life. The flesh will destroy your life. It desires evil, it defies God, it defiles man, but it destroys life. In Romans 8 verse 13, it says, For if ye live after the flesh, flesh ye shall die. See, death is separation. But this passage in Romans 8, 13 is not referring to an eternal separation from God in hell. For this passage, he's speaking to Christians. He is saying that the desire of the flesh is to separate us from God unto Satan. Its desire in our life is to separate us from serving God to serving self. To separate us from having constant victory to having rather uh, continual defeat. Flesh is to separate us from depending upon God's power to depending upon ourselves for power and thus destroying our lives spiritually. It separates us. It's the character of the flesh. See, the flesh, again, it's our sinful patterns of living that are hostile to God that wants us to live independently of God, that leads us to do what we do not want to do, and that brings us to spiritual ruin. Second thing this morning, quickly, the conduct of the flesh. The con Notice in verse 19, the conduct. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. See, when we do not deny the flesh, we depend upon uh, the flesh rather than depending upon the Holy Spirit, then there's a manifestation of the, what the flesh does. And he refers to it here. Notice he says in verse number 19, now the, what's the next word? Teenagers, you have your Bible? Look at it, verse number 19. Y'all need to get in on this. And older people, you got your Bible? Now's not the time to sleep. Verse 19, the flesh sleeps. Isn't that what Jesus said? He told his three disciples, spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They slept when they ought to be praying, and they all deserted Christ. I'm trying to help some of you. You're on the road to desertion. There's a danger when you desert God. You've left your first love. You didn't lose it. You left it. I'm trying to help you get back to it. We're looking at the conduct of the flesh. Notice in verse 19, now the, what's the word? Works. works. Notice in verse 22, but the, what's the word? Fruit. 
See, the flesh is going to work you over. It's going to work you. Slap. That's why some of you sit in church. You're not energized. You're, you're drained. You say, no, I'm drained from work. If you would work for Jesus Christ and his power, you're not going to fall asleep when it's time to engage in battle. The works of the flesh. It can be divided in, into three categories. We're going to see three categories categories of the works of the flesh, the conduct of the flesh. One is sexual sin. The other is superstitious sins. And third is social sins. Now, he tells us this is not an exhaustive list. But rather, he's giving us a sampling of what happens when we choose to live according to the flesh instead of according to the spirit. Let's notice sexual sins in verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, sexual sin, starting off with adultery. Adultery is a sexual sin between married people. It's not just the physical act that makes one an adulterer. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27, you've heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, Jesus said he hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. See, adultery is not just the outward action that makes one an adulterer, it's the inward attitude of the heart. See, when a married person involves themselves with another person that's not their spouse, whether that involves, the, whether they involve themselves in physical act, an act of sex, or mental lust or fantasy, or emotional, that's verbal intimacy, they're guilty of adultery. Next word, verse number 19, adultery. What's the next one? Fornication. That's any and all illicit sexual activity. The word fornication, this is interesting, is where we get the Greek word. Let me give you the Greek word and see if it sounds familiar. This is Greek. And you say, I don't know Greek. See if this, this sounds familiar. The Greek word is pornea. It's where we get our English word pornography. It seems that Satan's greatest attack today is in the realm of sex. That's what Satan always does. He takes something that God created that's good and he takes it out of bounds and he makes it and perverts it. And this matter of pornography has been a vehicle that Satan has been using to fuel the flesh for quite some time. Today in America, there are more hardcore pornography outlets than there are McDonald's restaurants. In addition, 80% of more than 26,000 video shops sell pornography. Pornography generates more money than rock and country music combined, more than any of Hollywood's box office receipts, making it a 15 to 20 or plus billion dollar a year business, and it continues to grow. In 2019 statistics, 68% of church-going men view pornography on a regular basis. Those are probably some of the ones that sleep in church. 57% of pastors have or currently struggle with pornography. 69% say pornography has adversely impacted the church. No wonder we have churches that are going and drifting rather than fighting the current, standing up for Jesus, standing in his strength alone. 87% of Christian women have watched pornography. 56% of divorce cases cite pornography as being a contributing factor. What does all that mean? It means we're in trouble. We're in a mess. People today do not even know how to leave the comforts of their own home uh, it, it, without being bombarded with pornography. The internet, internet brings it right into our very presence everywhere we go if you carry a smartphone. 
And over 20% of Americans have viewed pornographic websites. Why? Because that's the work of the flesh. What's the next word? He says uncleanness. What is that? Filthy thoughts. Another one, lasciviousness. I got to hurry. Lasciviousness. That's sensuality and refers to shameless display such as nudity or immodest dress. You see, when the flesh is allowed to rule, it can lead even the best Christians into uh, any of these sins. And oftentimes when the same Christians are confronted with the sins of the world, you'll find a similarity though the Christians are doing the same things that the world is doing. Why? Because that's what the flesh does. Let's move into another category in verse number 20. It's the superstitious sins. The superstitious sins. What is it? Idolatry. Idolatry is worshiping anything or anyone other than God. It's putting something before God. Anything can be an idol. We often drive idols. We call them vehicles. We often live in idols. We call them homes. We often spend idols. We call it money. We often wear idols. We call them clothes. When any one of these take priority over God, the flesh is dominating. The next one is witchcraft. The same word witchcraft, well, let me give you another Greek word, see if it sounds familiar. The Greek word that we get witchcraft from is the word pharmakia. It's where we get the word pharmacy. So witchcraft here is translated in, in, in the sense of sorcery, but it refers to drug use. See, when an individual takes mood or mind-altering drugs, whether those drugs are taken for pleasure or to escape reality, to forget the past or to relax, it's an indicator that the flesh is dominating. Amen. Amen. It is a big deal. Then there are social sins. I understand. Those who don't know Christ going to hell, that's all you can do. But we're talking here, this is not a passage referring to lost people that have flipped God off and will die and go to hell. These are saved people. And Paul's saying there's an awful similarity between those going to hell and those who sit in our churches. Social sins starts out with verse 20, latter part of the verse, hatred. Hatred is antagonism towards another. Hatred leads one to say, I cannot stand that person. I will not be around them. Why? The color of their skin? Their social status in life? Because of what they've done to you? What about what you did to Jesus? Variance. It refers to a quarrelsome person, one who's not easy to get along with. I know some of you, you're going in your mind to your mother-in-law. Don't do that quite yet. Just hang in there. A quarrelsome person is touchy, argues at the slightest provocation. They're known as being explosive. We would call them hot-tempered. 
It's the guy who slams the door, storms out of the room in a huff or in a puff, or just turns their back on somebody and talks while walking out because they're not going to turn around and talk to the person directly. It's the guy behind you at the stoplight who blows the horn the moment the light turns green, pulls up alongside you and give you the stare of death and then gives his car the gas only to beat you to the next stoplight by mere seconds and sit at the same spot you're sitting. <laughs> it's called variance. Emulation is jealousy. Simply causes you to want what others have. It causes one to be upset when someone else gets greater recognition than I do. It becomes furious and vows to quit my job when someone else gets the promotion that you expected to receive. An old fable tells the following story. Satan's agents were failing in their attempts to draw into sin a holy man who lived as a hermit in the desert of North Africa. Every attempt was met with failure. So Satan angered with the incompetence of his subordinates, he became personally involved in the case, he said. The reason you have failed is that your methods are too crude for one such as this. Satan said to his agents, watch this. He then approached the holy man with great care and he whispered into his ear, your brother has been made the bishop of Alexandria. Instantly, the holy man's face changed. A great scowl formed over his mouth and his eyes tightened and Satan knew that he had won the victory. The next one is wrath. Wrath refers to an outburst of anger. An example of wrath is a father who gets upset and throws a chair across the room. A mother who slaps her child across the face. A teenager who does not get his way storms out of the room. Or a child who throws himself on the floor screaming and yelling to get what he wants. At 13, it's not cute, neither is it at 3. Strife. Strife refers to disputes. A person characterized by strife returns argument for argument. A person characterized by strife is one who returns the argument with the, well, they started it first, so I argued with them. The next is seditions and heresies. Seditions and heresies, heresies is not referred to false teaching. It's referring to a group of people who band together and take sides in spite of what is right. That's how we get divisions in churches. And some call them cliques. But you get to get, you band together. And sometimes you band together and you kind of have this, uh, I'm going to show them. I'm going to show preacher. I'm going to show my Bible fellowship table. Well, your flesh certainly will. And it, you, you better be careful when you're teaming up in the flesh. I don't care how many Bible study. I don't care if you're writing your own Bible study curriculum. You're not studying the Bible until you deal with the flesh. Envy. That's another form of jealousy. Murder. Taking the life of another person or even self-murder. Taking one's own life. Drunkenness, being intoxicated with alcohol, reveling, being boisterous and loud, usually due to the use of alcohol. This is the conduct of the flesh. This is what happens when we allow the flesh to rule and reign in our lives. Every one of us is capable of committing each of these sins. No one, no one can say, not me. Maybe I could commit some of the social sins, but I could never commit the sexual sin. 
No, your flesh can do any of it. Your flesh wants to do all of it. There is no limit to what your flesh can do. Very few people ever get up. Very few people of God's people ever get up in the morning and plan to sin. These sins are not planned actions by the Christians. I don't think King David ever got up in the morning and said, you know, I think it would be a good day to commit adultery with Bathsheba. And then I would have her husband Uriah killed. That's not, that didn't come across his mind. I don't think Noah, after work one day, said, you know, I think tonight I'll get drunk and then lay in my tent naked for all to see. I don't think Peter ever planned to deny the Lord and then curse his name on the night of his arrest. What happened? Well, I don't think these men planned to do these things, but their conduct is a picture and a reminder of what happens when we don't deal with the flesh. And even the best of men yield to the flesh rather than to the spirit. There is no sin that has ever been committed, but what any child of God could commit if under the same provocation. Number three this morning, the consequence of the flesh. Notice in verse 21, the latter part of the verse, notice this. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. What are the consequences of living under the reign and the rule of the flesh? Paul says those who do these things, and not just that list. You may say, I got through that list. But remember, Paul just gave us a sampling. How do you know? Well, he said, in such like. And he just put anything there. And so, um, in other words, anything that violates God's law can be fit into those categories. In this passage, Paul is addressing Christians. And he warns them that those who do such things will forfeit the inheritance of the kingdom of God. The word inherit means entering into full possession of. Those who live according to the flesh will not receive their full possession in the kingdom of God. They will forfeit many blessings. They will forfeit many benefits available to believers. He's not saying that those who live according to the flesh manifest the works of the flesh shall not enter the kingdom of God. He didn't say they will not enter. This passage has been used to try to get God's people to think that they're not saved. He's not saying that. He didn't say you do this, you will not enter. He says you will not inherit. Nor did he say that those who do these things will lose their salvation. You with me? Salvation is not based on what we do on, or on what we do not do. It's based on, uh, nor is it based on living a good life. Paul did not say that those who live according to the flesh are giving evidence that they're not saved. He didn't say that either. However, Paul did say that those who do such things will not enter into the full possession of their heavenly inheritance. He's not dealing with sonship He's dealing with the son's inheritance. See, our inheritance is the reward for faithfully serving Christ. Colossians 3, verse 23 through 24 makes this clear. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. 
See, when people live according to the flesh, they're robbing themselves of their heavenly reward. They're forfeiting their inheritance. They're forfeiting the blessings and the benefits available to the child of God, and they're going to suffer loss. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 15, speaking of the carnal believer, says, If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. So do you understand? He's not saying that this means you're not saved. He says that this means you're not going to inherit the full possession that God has made available in by way of your salvation. What are some things you will lose? Well, first of all, you'll lose by way of chastisement. Hebrews 12 and verse 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he does what? Chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So the Lord chastens with family tragedy. The Lord chastens with an early death. The Lord chastens by physical sickness or perhaps financial loss. Although living in the flesh is possible, it's not pleasurable. Another loss of the Christian is loss of fellowship and service. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company of any man that is called a brother, be a fornicator or a covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one, no, not to eat. What is that referring to? It's referring to, to church discipline. Do you see what is on church discipline level? I sit down with a preacher this week and we were talking about what is the, the, uh, the, 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 the standard, what is the requirement, the justification for church discipline. And I said oftentimes people think of it in the first part of that verse in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 11. If any man is called a, it says brother, by the way, we're not putting out lost people. Lost people cannot be a part of the church. It's those who are saved. Lost people can attend, but they're not a part of and so therefore, he says, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, he refers to this one be put out. It's not because they committed the sin, but it's because they didn't get right about it. But do you know what else is put in there? Someone who is covetous, idolater, Someone who is withholding from God what he rightfully deserves and doesn't get right about it. Let me just throw it at you just so you're very clear in understanding the Bible's concept of where church discipline comes from. It's not because of the top three big sins that you can come up with. Church discipline is a result of the attitude that says, I'm not budging. Oh, I've had them sit on my couch and say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this. I want to serve God. I'm going to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And they walk right out and there's no repentance. Repentance is a change. Church discipline is the result of God's people over and over and over and over again being challenged and warned and challenged and warned. And they continue to say, I'm not changing. It's an attitude. So the person who says, I'm only going to come Sunday morning, I ain't coming Sunday night, you've committed a sin worthy of church discipline. You say, because I don't come back Sunday night? No, because of an attitude that says, I ain't changing. Amen. Someone who's been gossiping and being critical, and the Bible's very clear about that, and you've been challenged and confronted, and a deacon comes to you and 
challenges you about that, instead of getting right, you just hunker down and say, well, you know, it's just whatever it is. And, and you don't make the thing right. And over time, you keep on resisting. You've committed a crime against God that's worthy of church discipline. The Bible doesn't say to pray about tithe. The Bible says tithe. And you've been challenged. You don't do it. You've committed a crime worthy of church discipline. That's why the last message Jesus ever gave to the church, Revelation 2 and 3, is repent. There's no revival in your home until you repent. There's no revival in your life until there's repentance. And so he's telling us that's what the flesh does. The flesh is going to do all these things and try to justify. You're going to lose Christian fellowship and service. Another thing that the flesh will do is you'll lose at the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14, 12. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. He who's lived a life in the flesh and who has lived independent of God and has placed claim upon their life, my life, you'll suffer loss. What kind of loss? You'll suffer the loss of praise. Christ will not be able to say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You'll lose of possession. Christ will not reward you with crowns of faithfulness, of soul winning and righteousness. You'll lose position. Christ will not invite you to occupy a place of authority in his kingdom. See, a man can live according to the flesh, but you will suffer loss. The flesh is vile. It's ruthless. It's a terrorist. It's the flesh's desire to ruin your life and rob you of your heavenly inheritance. I cannot close without giving you some good news. You ready for it? Number four, the conquest of the flesh. Those who are sleeping, would you take notes for them and, and let them know? I know they're off in la-la land. And so therefore, the conquest of the flesh. Notice in verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 18. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Verse 24. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Verse 25. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. How can you get victory over the flesh, the terrorist called the flesh? How can we deny this vile enemy that brings such horrible consequences? The only answer to the flesh is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that leads us to victory. Two things here. Number one, yield to the Spirit's leadership. Yield to the Holy Spirit's leadership. Look at it again, verse 18. If ye be led of the Spirit... Yield to his leader. When we deny the flesh, when we choose to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you're going to find the Holy Spirit conquering the flesh. Deny the flesh, yield to the Spirit. To follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we must first be led of the Spirit. To be led refers to a shepherd leading his sheep or a farm herding his cattle or a ship being driven by the wind. Just as a shepherd leads the sheep or a wind drives a ship, the Spirit of God is to lead us. That's why invitation is so critical. And part of the invitation is coming and saying, Holy Spirit of the living God, I want you to leave me, lead me. I want you to shepherd me. I want you to drive me. The Spirit of God will lead us. That's what He does. The Holy Spirit leads us by placing His desire in our hearts. The Holy Spirit leads us by asserting His desires against the desires of the flesh. See, when the flesh says, yes, do it, say it, think it, 
The Spirit of God says, no, 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 no. Don't do it. Don't say it. Don't think it. That's what the leadership of the Holy Spirit does. It's the Holy Spirit showing you the way of escape. It's the Spirit of God leading you to victory. Victory begins when we yield to the Spirit's leadership and obey His voice. So number one, yield to the Spirit. Number two, walk in the Spirit's way. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Not only must we yield to the Spirit's leadership, we've got to walk in the Spirit. The word walk means to walk in step with the Spirit. It means to follow His leadership. Have you ever walked with somebody, trying to talk with somebody, maybe a child, maybe your spouse, and you're trying to, to talk, but they're like two steps behind you. They say you're two steps in front of them, but it's hard to, to really stay in, in sync when you're not quite there. Many times the Holy Spirit feels that way too. He's not there to follow you. We're there to follow Him. He's not there to walk with you. He's there for us to walk with Him. Victory over indwelling sin comes when we yield to the Spirit's control and we walk in His way. When you are in conversation with someone, the flesh says, let them have it. The Spirit says, no, don't respond that way. See, victory comes when you choose to follow His leadership and you walk in that direction. The moment you choose to step in the direction the Spirit's leading, at that moment you will receive the Spirit's power to enable you to walk in that direction. Let me say it again. The moment you choose to step in the direction of the Spirit's leading, at that moment you will receive the Spirit's power to enable you to walk in that direction. The, the, the Lord Jesus said, Come! Peter stepped out of the boat. He was choosing to follow the leadership of the Lord. And the Lord, as soon as he stepped out to follow the direction of the Lord, the Lord gave him enabling power to do so. When we deny the flesh the right to rule and reign by choosing instead to yield to the Holy Spirit's leadership and to walk step by step in that direction, then every step we take is an act of dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And every act of dependence upon the Holy Spirit, it brings the enabling power of God, which brings moment by moment victory over the, over the flesh. It's a promise of God. Notice verse 16, this I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's a promise. But let me leave this with you. The choice is yours. It's a promise. If you make the right choice. Don't live in the futility of the flesh. Walk in step with the Spirit. And you'll find the Spirit of God manifest His fruit. You'll find victory. Deny the flesh by choosing to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Stand with me please.